The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. High-flying tech and other growth stocks continuing their come down as rising rates keep up the pressure. Stocks this morning, well, they're looking to be something to be thankful for. Call it a retail route. Gap and Nordstrom shares tanking. The pair take a hard hit from ongoing supply chain and labor woes. Enough is enough. Hundreds of Google employees drawing a line in the sand over vaccine mandates. Tis the season for a data breach. Officials out with a new warning over hackers striking during the holidays. And your morning RBI put President Biden's big oil release into context and explains why oil went higher on the move. It is Wednesday, November 24th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and happy Thanksgiving Eve, everybody. And welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday. Let's get right to your money as we think about interest rates and maybe turkey stock futures. Well, Tuesday, nearly a mirror image of Monday, you had the Dow up, tech down, and some commodities up. And that's, well, not really what we're seeing now because... Dow futures, they are down about 130 as well, but NASDAQ futures, they are lower. NASDAQ is where the action has been this week. The Dow has done a little bit here and there, but actually a pretty sizable decline in some big tech stocks has been sort of the underlying market story, and that looks like it might continue again. NASDAQ futures down about 34 points. By the way, small caps have also been lower. Kind of a rates story as rates try to claw their way higher. So let's get a check there and see what's happening with the benchmark 10-year note. Yields actually a bit lower at 1.64%. We're also looking at oil after the big release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR. And oil actually ticking a little bit higher, right? Well, I, I say that and I stand correct. This is why at 5 o'clock, you can't look five minutes earlier and say this is what's happening because things change because there's no volume. When I looked two seconds ago, oil was slightly higher either way. Oil is down 18 cents, but oil actually rose yesterday on that SPR release news. We will explain why, or at least try to, in the RBI coming up. All right, let's go now around the world. It was a mixed session in Asia overnight. Japan's Nikkei leading losses, shedding about 1.5%. So the growth-oriented stocks there selling off and taking a look at the early trade in Europe as well. Remember, they do not have a Thanksgiving holiday, but they are a mixed trade right now. We are seeing... France up, the rest are down. Now let's stay overseas as China slamming the Biden administration over its latest outreach to Taiwan. Bertha Coombs has details on that and some of this morning's other top stories. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, Bertha. Happy Eve indeed, Brian. China is accusing the president of a mistake by inviting Taiwan to take part in a democracy summit. The State Department announcing yesterday that Taiwan will be among the 110 democratic governments 
at that meeting next month. Now, China, which will not be part of the summit, has claimed the democratically governed island as its territory, part of its one China policy. During a virtual summit with President Biden last week, Chinese President Xi Jinping warned that Beijing would have, quote, no alternative but to take drastic measures, unquote, if their so-called red lines were crossed. Toshiba's second largest shareholder has reportedly come out and opposed a plan to split the company into three companies. According to Reuters, 3D Investments, despite its three name, has sent a letter to Toshiba's board saying that triple breakup proposal is extremely unlikely to resolve any of the company's current problems. Reuters adds that 3D Investment instead wants Toshiba to solicit offers to go private and that other hedge fund shareholders are disappointed that the company has rejected that idea as well. Meantime, Tesla looking to shell out over $1 billion on its new vehicle factory in Austin, Texas in the coming weeks. According to construction filing by CNBC, the company is looking to wrap up construction on several major elements of the Gigafactory by the end of the year. That facility will eventually produce Tesla's upcoming Cybertruck as well as its Model 3 and Y vehicles. And Brian, you know that Model Y is the fifth most popular car sold in California now. Tesla's not an also-ran. It is up there with the big three. I actually would have thought it would have been higher than fifth. I'm surprised it's only fifth. Because you go out to California, and I, I, I'm from California. I have a California flag in my garage, and I joke, Bertha, that they should replace the bear on the flag with like a Model 3 or something. It's up there. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I think they have the infrastructure has developed much more quickly there. So you've seen much greater adoption. Plus, you know, in California, they always want to be cool. That's you ride your electric bike all the way from San Diego to Lake Shasta. Bertha Coombs, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. <laughs> All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money. And your first guest today says there is one big number that you should focus on for stocks, $7.1 trillion. I would argue that is a big number. Let's find out why it matters. Josh Wan is a portfolio manager at Hennessy Funds, and he joins us now. Uh, Josh, first off, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow. Uh, $7.1 trillion. Cash on the books. At S&P companies, what does that ma- why, why do you care? Why does that matter? Sure, yeah, and I would also just throw out about 1.7. So that would be the cash on the balance sheets of private equity firms. So I think that as we have seen this wow. past year and, and more so next year, I think that M&A is, is an ongoing theme. And, and the 7.1 uh, you know, trillion on the books of the S&P 500, that's exciting. Uh, there's debt behind that as well. So I, I would look at in this environment where I think the government is a little bit more hawkish around M&A. I think kind of small and mid-cap M&A uh, could get a bid. And, you know, there's less antitrust concerns around that. So I, I think it's an interesting environment that could send us a little bit higher here or a lot higher. Wow. So I'm doing a quick math. It's early 7.1, 1.7. So, okay. So what is that? Uh, eight, you know, 8.8. I mean, that's a lot of cash, Josh. You think, how much of that is going to go to buybacks? It, it has already been a record year for buybacks. Right. And that's a great point. And for, and also it's, it's worth you know mentioning that that's an unlevered number. So certainly a lot of debt can be put onto some of these deals, but yeah, buybacks, I think, you know, a lot of management is, 
you know, they've, they've learned the lesson that M&A, it sounds great and it's exciting, but it's tricky. So, yeah, we've seen a lot of buybacks and, you know, special dividends and increased dividends. But I think that at the end of the day, size matters a lot uh, in the marketplace in terms of the multiple that will be paid for earnings. And I think the, the larger the the larger the size, the, the bigger the multiple, the more liquid the stock and people pay for that dearly. All right, let's get to let's get to a couple of your stock picks that you thankfully uh, brought. We're thankful for that you brought to us, Josh. Talk about size mattering. Penske Automotive Group, one of the biggest auto retailers in the United States. We don't talk about it a lot, but it's big. It's a powerhouse, and it is growing. That's right. It is. It's it's a name that I think people are familiar with, but they don't see it day to day as they as they look around for a car. So I think that you know it's about an eight billion dollar market cap, uh, growing nicely, and we know the story of the last you know, 18 months in car sales and the shift toward used as it's been a little bit more difficult to find a, a new car. Uh, as that abates, though, I think that there's a great, you know, runway for, you know, companies like Penske. Uh, right now, you know, trading at about eight times forward earnings. Uh, the majority of their revenue uh, is from the used side of the business. Uh, so that's interesting. And some global exposure. They sell new and used cars in the U.S. and parts of Europe. They're a big truck retailer. Uh you know, great balance sheet, cash flow generation, yeah. uh, interesting idea. And founder, one of the arguably the greatest businessmen in global history, Roger Penske as well. Uh, wrap it up with Academy Sports and Outdoors. Not a name that I am familiar with. Who are they? What do they do? And why do you like them? Sure, yeah. Academy Sports and Outdoors, like Penske, is uh, one of the names in our Hennessy Cornerstone Mid-Cap 30 Fund. So it's a, a retailer of, you know, sporting goods and camping and hunting and fishing gear, about 260 stores in 16 states. And, and we like it for the reason that we like, you know, Penske Automotive, you know, growth and earnings, uh, valuation and stock price momentum. Uh, I think Academy Sports is interesting, trading also at about eight times forward earnings. You know, it lives in the shadow a little bit of Dick's Sporting Goods, which you know I think a lot of people are familiar with. And Academy is... You know, a younger story, uh, a little bit more room for growth, uh, most likely. Uh, and, you know, a very compelling idea in, in an environment where the market's trading at about 21 times earnings. And a name that we are going to watch from here on out, Academy Sports, Penske Automotive. A couple of names and opportunity on this Thanksgiving Eve. Josh Wine of Hennessy Funds. Again, Josh, I know you got up early. We appreciate it. Best to you Thanks and yours. Have a great holiday tomorrow. Take care. You too. All right. All right, we are just getting started. Thank you. And when we come back, your morning's big money movers, including one computer maker getting a boost as people return to the office. Plus, consumers getting a jump start on their holiday shopping season. How those efforts to avoid the global supply chain crunches could actually be making it worse. And later on, Elon at it again. The world's richest man continues to sell shares of Tesla. It's a very busy hour still ahead here on WEX. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. 
Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. All right, welcome back. It is time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Here we go. Stock number one, the Gap. Shares gapping down 18%. Third quarter sales whiffed. And the retailer cutting its guidance for the year. It's expecting a revenue hit of up to $650 million due to, what else, supply chain problems, including factory closures in Vietnam and higher air freight costs ahead of Christmas. Gap CEO addressing the issue with Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night. The bulk of the issues this quarter were supply chain related, about a half a billion top line uh, affected by uh, short uh, stock out and about half a billion of transitory uh, air costs that we're incurring. But we believe the right thing to do is compete in the holiday season to have the right stock across all four of our brands. And that's what we're doing. All right. That was the Gap CEO with Jim on Mad last night. Stock number two, another retailer, Nordstrom. It is losing investors even more, more than a quarter of their money right now. Third quarter results fell well short of estimates. The department store says that labor costs ate into profits and it warns of, yep, you guessed it, product shortages at its off-price stores heading into Christmas. Nordstrom Rack has suffered severe shortages of things like women's clothes and shoes. And stock number three, HP. It reported strong fourth quarter earnings and gave an upbeat outlook HP says office reopenings are helping to lift PC demand. Everybody buying new computers through the holiday season, even despite dealing with supply shortages of its own. That stock up nicely, up about 7%. See, we always want to end on a high note. All right, still ahead. Speaking of high notes, Adele continuing her global domination in music as her new album makes a record-setting debut. Details on that and some of this morning's other top trending stories, they are straight ahead. Today's big number, 53.4 million. That's how many people are expected to travel this week for Thanksgiving, according to a report by AAA. Total travel volumes are within 5% of pre-pandemic levels. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
All right, welcome back and good Wednesday morning. Let's get you up to speed on some of this morning's top headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with that and more. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. We begin with new details surrounding the Christmas parade tragedy in Waukesha, Wisconsin, including the death of a child. Daryl Brooks, who was arrested and accused of barreling through the crowd in an SUV, appeared in court for the first time. He was charged with five counts of first-degree intentional homicide. And now a sixth charge is expected to be added after eight-year-old Jack and Sparks died of injuries from the horrific incident. A verdict could be rendered today in the murder trial of Ahmad Arbery. The fate of the three men accused of killing him now lie in the hands of 12 jurors. Travis McMichael, his father Gregory McMichael, and their neighbor William Ronnie Bryan could face life in prison. And just hours ago, NASA sent its first-of-its-kind test mission to space with a goal of deflecting an asteroid. The DART mission spacecraft blasted off on a SpaceX rocket from Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. It is headed for the asteroid Dimorphos in an attempt to redirect its motion in space. The mission still has an odyssey before making contact with the asteroid. NASA says the spacecraft will smash into the asteroid at 15,000 miles an hour. That's going to happen next fall, Brian, so we can all rest assured, sleep well tonight, wake up, put the turkey in the oven, knowing that this mission is on its way. I think that was a movie plot at one point. What was it not? Like oh. uh, with Bruce Willis or I don't know, something like that. There was some like 25 years ago. Yeah, was they it saved us all? Yeah, 100 percent. Totally. Yeah, I think that might, yeah, or, or Die Hard <laughs> Asteroid. Which is a Christmas movie, by the way. You know, that's debatable, too, when it comes to Die Hard. Yeah, it is a Christmas. They're calling that a Nakatomi Plaza. Now, apparently that is a Christmas movie now as well. I'm with you. I'm with you. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. Francis, thank you very much. All right, Brian. Have a good one. Christmas, baby. That's all right, you too. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Appreciate that. All right. Yippee-ki-yay. All right, now to the lighter side. And today's top trending stories, which include a new art sale record, a new top-selling album of the year, because there still are albums, and a very high price for one, <laughs> shall we say, strong-smelling ingredient often found by large hogs in the woods. Bertha Coombs is here now with more on those stories. Bertha, before we get into this, your view on Die Hard, Christmas movie, yes or no? No. No. Thank you. I'm all about Elf or, you know, the fun stuff. No. But that's just me. I'm not into blowing things up for Christmas. Meantime, though, a blowout for the fall art auctions in New York this year. They've set an all-time record, pulling in more than $2.6 billion in sales. That, according to data analytics firm PyX, a surge in global wealth, inflation fears, and the continued crypto and NFT craze boosted demand and prices uh, at Christie's, Sotheby's, and Phillips. Adele, meantime, is still rolling in the deep with her new album, which has taken just three days to become the top-selling album of 2021. When confirmed by Billboard next week, 30 will become Adele's third number one album in the U.S. And a a two-pound white truffle has sold for almost $118 million at auction in Italy. The mushroom bidding was held at the International Alba White Truffle Fair and purchased by Michelin-starred chef Umberto Bombano, who runs an Italian restaurant in Hong Kong. 
Prices for white truffles have risen this year due to an unusually hot summer in Italy. And what else, Brian? Supply chain issues. Apparently nothing wrong with the hogs, but that supply chain is a mess. It's it's everything. It's, I'm just going to start using supply chain issues. Why didn't you bring in the firewood <laughs> for supply chain issues? Why didn't you do the laundry supply chain issues? Where are the dogs supply chain issues? Just going to use that as a blanket supply excuse for everything my in my homework. life now. <laughs> yeah, you didn't pay the electric bill supply chain issues. It's going to happen. By the way, yeah. the best thing about truffles, Bertha, as you probably know because you're from Boston, it's fancy. It's like you get a plain you know, bowl of penne, right? $14. Would you like some truffles on that? Okay, that'd be 92. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Not that I would know. You know what I'm talking about. All right, Bertha, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Umberto Bambano. All right. All right, coming up next here on WEX, we're having a little fun on a Wednesday. More on Turkey, the country's growing economic crisis. Its currency is crashing, and now Apple taking new steps on how to really do business in a country like that. And if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. If you want, maybe we'll throw some truffles on it and double the price, which won't matter because it's free. Dow features down a touch. We're back right after this. Stocks facing another hurdle, trying to gather gains after another day of tech-led selling futures. They are down right now. Dow off 110. NASDAQ down two-tenths. Oil moving higher. Even after President Biden's big oil release, your morning RBI will offer some context on what is fueling that jump. And past the stuffing, the yams, and a, and a good old-fashioned Thanksgiving Day hack. A new warning on how many hackers may be looking to ramp up on you this holiday season. It is Wednesday, November 24th, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back and good Wednesday morning. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Appreciate it. Remember, a full day of trading today, half day on Friday. So let's get right now to the markets and your money. Stock futures, they are down across the board. We are seeing Dow futures off about three-tenths of 1%, NASDAQ off about two-tenths. Now, Tuesday, nearly a mirror image of Monday. You had the Dow and some commodities up, but you had tech and some small-cap stocks down kind of an interest rate story and maybe a bit of a rotation. We'll see how long that may last. Tech, Some tech stocks, by the way, have had a rough go in the last couple of sessions. Now, speaking of rates, bond yields are actually ticking a little bit lower right now, but they have come off their lows the last week or two, but still a very low 1.64%. All right, the markets aren't doing a whole lot, but certain stocks are. And one of your morning's big money movers, Zoom. Shares right now down just a little bit. But this after Zoom lost investors 15% of their money on Tuesday after a number of Wall Street firms slashing their price targets on the company, their revenue growth slowing down, their warning about the future of the stock down nearly 20% so far this week. The market's seeing past the pandemic and everybody. I know a lot of you have never not gone to an office. My friends in Texas and the South have said, what are you talking about? Return to the office. We never left the office. Well, in the Northeast, we have. Many people now starting to go back. All right, now to some of this morning's top stories, including an internal fight at Google over vaccine mandates. Bertha's back with that and more. Bertha. Brian, several hundred Google employees have signed a manifesto opposing the company's COVID vaccine mandate. 
the document, which has also so far been signed by at least 600 workers, is asking the tech giant to retract the mandate and create a new one that is, quote, inclusive of all Googlers. Google has asked its more than 150,000 employees to upload their vaccine status to an internal system by December 3rd, whether they plan to return to the office or not. Google has also said that all employees who work directly or indirectly with government contracts must be vaccinated even if they are working from home. Apple, meantime, has apparently halted sales of its devices in Turkey amid that country's rising inflation and currency drop. Reports have cited that if customers visit the company's online store in that country, they're unable to add items to their cart. Apple has yet to make a formal announcement on that matter. And Elon Musk has unloaded more shares of Tesla. According to a securities filing yesterday, Musk sold another $1 billion worth of the automaker's stock. The sale was part of a prearranged plan to exercise expiring management stock options. Musk has sold nearly $10 billion worth of stock since tweeting that poll on unloading 10% of his shares earlier this month, Brian. But looks like folks are getting used to it. Stock not you know, we selling off. Yeah, we don't reaction. talk about the turkey. Don't talk about the turkey economy too much. But I mean, they're they're cutting interest rates aggressively as inflation soars, and the value of the Turkish currency, the lira, down thirty three percent in like two weeks. You know, Turkey is not a small economy yeah. globally. It makes you wonder whether people can find that store of value in cryptocurrency as a result because the fiat currency is on so unreliable in this case. But then, of course, in China, we did see the government blocking people from having access to cryptocurrencies. Wait, China blocks people from doing things on the Internet? Are you kidding, Bertha? What? <laughs> it's too, I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's, it's too early. <laughs> For that level of snark, I sincerely apologize. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. And by the way, as, as our producer Jason said in my ear, Turkey, the economy, picked a, just the wrong week to have a problem and be in the news so much, just <laughs> given Turkey. Bertha, thank you. All right, time now for this morning's RBI, and it's maybe a nice segue because today's most random and interesting thing is on what else? The big political and oil news. The president opening up the emergency oil reserves to try to try to drive down gasoline prices. This was the largest ever and only ever non-emergency release and swap of oil from the SPR. Nearly every other time it has been a storm or some other emergency that has caused it. Look at this. The other times the U.S. either sold or swapped out more, more than one million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Well, the first time Operation Desert Storm in 91 Hurricane Ivan, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricanes Gustav and Ike in 08, the Libyan Civil War, the only non-hurricane after the first one, Hurricane Isaac in 2012, Hurricane Harvey in 2017. Are you seeing a trend? And now this year, I actually didn't even know what to call it when I wrote it. I'll just put SPR swaps. Well, some have suggested maybe this is a political storm. Who knows? Either way, this was also the biggest ever released, though that's a bit misleading. The headline total was 50 million barrels. But remember, 18 million of those barrels are just accelerated from a previous selling plan. So really, it's 32 million new barrels. Now, there's a few reasons that oil prices rose on Tuesday. Number one, 
The market expected this, right? They've been talking about it for weeks and actually thought it might be more. We use close to 20 million barrels of oil per day in the U.S., so put that into context, maybe call it two days' worth. The global additions from India, Japan, and South Korea are altogether fairly small in the grand scheme of things compared to OPEC. Plus, the oil that is in the SPR may not be the kind that U.S. companies like to use. Thicker, heavier, more sour, basically. It is syrup. Now, it can be used in an emergency, but since there is no emergency, some have reported that much of that newly released oil may actually be sold to other countries whose refiners do like to use it. Countries like China and India. In fact, they could end up seeing more of this oil than American producers. So think about that. Will we likely sell some of our emergency reserves to China and then have to buy or refill that oil back next year when prices might be higher? Something to think about. Random and hopefully interesting. Let's talk more about all of this, plus what OPEC Plus may do in response with Louise Dixon, Senior Analyst of Oil Markets and Analytics at Rystad Energy. Louise, uh, you take that number, you add on the global, it can, you can get up to 80 in the math, 80 million barrels, a big number, but then you trickle that out over time. Do you think it will ultimately have any impact on prices? I think, uh, Brian, I think you actually referred to this sort of in your introductory comments that a lot of this uh, market movement has sort of already been priced in. Uh, not only in within the last two weeks since the Biden administration has been really sending strong communication signals about this uh, coordinated effort, but actually, in fact, since August of this year, when the U.S. started to put some pressure on OPEC plus to increase supply. So I think that this that this maneuver has been long priced into the market. You know, and let's be clear about, I think there's one major point that I'd like to make here, which is that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was never designed to lower prices. That That is not in its mechanism, correct? It was there if a hurricane knocks out refining capacity or some other bad thing happens in America, we're going to have oil that we can power the things that oil powers with. The SPR is not and never has been a mechanism to lower prices. Period. Right. I think I think that that your your point about the SPR mainly being used to sort of rebalance the market in a case of a natural disaster or an actual supply crunch is the general way that we do think about the strategic oil reserve. So, in fact, I think that yesterday's release, or rather the announcement of the release, the releases of the physical barrels will be coming later uh, in the next uh, forthcoming months. But the release may be a case of a bit too much too late because the oil market was, in fact, tightest and needed supply relief the most uh, back in September when Hurricane Ida hit. And in fact, the Hurricane Ida was hitting these sort of crude sour grade supplies that you mentioned that are no longer necessarily going to be in high demand in the U.S., but instead maybe more sought after in, in India and Chinese markets instead. So the timing is, is, a, bit, uh, is a bit dubious, in fact. I think that you, you, you are correct in that. Yeah, and we've got this OPEC Plus meeting coming up on December 2nd. And under their current deal, they do have the option to pause their increased oil production by three months. That's in their current deal. They, they're allowed to say, let's take a pause. Some have suggested they will in retaliation. I don't know about that, Louise. I know OPEC pretty well. 
And if they paused their 400,000 barrel a, a month increase or barrel a day per month increase, it would look overly political. I think they continue with their course now and then wait to see what happens through the winter. I, I think doing a change in output this soon would then put them under the, the microscope of the U.S. Congress, which still, remember, has that so-called NOPEC bill floating around. It's all very complicated. It's all very political. What do you think? Uh, well, I think that, uh, I mean, certainly uh, the, the U.S. has attempted to artificially tame a high oil price and maybe not fully succeed in that. So instead of really patching up this tight oil market and easing prices, uh, yesterday's announcement, like you said, it just it really unleashes more uncertainty of, of how exactly OPEC plus is going to react and sort of more of a geopolitical impact is that it creates this sort of tug of war between producers for higher prices and consumers for lower prices, which can only lead to a more volatile uh, year uh, coming up in 2022. So I do think that, um, you know, our house view is that the oil market, uh, even before the U.S. SPR release, was already sort of in a slow, uh, slow walk towards fundamentally loosening already in the first quarter of 2022. So mm -hmm. if this is if, if OPEC sort of stays its course and keeps the 400,000 barrel per day increase, we're already going to see a looser oil market in the first quarter of 2022. And therefore, OPEC would not necessarily need to change its course of action unless prices get to a band level that are too low for, for its sort of comfort zone. You think the, the, the path of least resistance for prices then, Louise, would be down? I, I think that we have to wait until December 2nd and see what, uh, what the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Russia, and their other OPEC uh, allies have to say on that. Yeah, it's going to be an, another virtual big OPEC meeting, and uh, I know somebody will be sitting and, and, and watching that call, and that shall be myself. Louise, have a great day. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate your time and insight. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. Louise Dixon of Rystad Energy. All right, coming up, the global supply chain crunch, potentially putting a damper on the Christmas gift season. Is there a gift season? How the race to snag presents may actually be making the problem worse right now. I'll tell you why. We're back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Well, chances are you've got your Thanksgiving Day menu all lined up. I hope you do with all, you know, turkey, all the fixings, whatever you like. But did you add extra cybersecurity to the menu? U.S. officials warning of possible holiday hackers this year. Eamon Javers joining us now with who may be most at risk. Eamon, who's at risk? Yeah, good morning, Brian. Well, just about every big company is at risk here. Uh, when you talk about this warning that we saw earlier in the week from the FBI and CISA, that's the nation's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Administration, they are warning uh, that there could be cyber attacks this weekend. They say they don't have any specific intelligence, but they do say this. Malicious cyber actors have often taken advantage of holidays and weekends to disrupt critical networks and systems. And the folks over at Cyber Reason compiled a list of some of the high-profile hacks that have happened 
on holiday weekends. Take a look at some of the greatest hits from this year actually happened uh, during the course of a holiday weekend. Colonial Pipeline happened over the Mother's Day weekend. The JBS hack happened over Memorial Day. Casilla over the 4th of July weekend. All of the big ones, or a lot of the big ones anyway, happening on these holiday weekends. Why is that? Well, it's because hackers know that folks in the U.S. are going to have some downtime. Uh, they're going to be off with their families eating that turkey you were just talking about, and they might not respond as quickly to a cyber attack as they would, uh, you know, Monday morning at 9 a.m. when everybody uh, is sort of alert and, and focused on the potential problems. So we talked to the folks over at Cyber Reason about this. They said there's one unusual aspect of this that, that I didn't see coming, but when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. Here's what they said. 70% of respondents to the survey said that they were had at least one drink or were intoxicated when having to respond to one of these attacks. And not only do you have a skeleton crew at that point, those who are coming online, they're not at their best, they're fastest, and they're most professional as a result. So what he's saying is your IT department might get drunk this weekend, and that could be a problem for you uh, in responding to any cyber attacks. So th that presents a whole bunch of challenges for companies, right? Because you want to give people the time off. You want to let them do what they want to do, have that glass of wine with dinner, the, the beer while they're watching football. But at the same time, you have to have a, a workforce that's able to respond in real time uh, if this comes down the pike. So the FBI alerting companies to this, not saying they know anything specific is coming, but just saying there's a clear pattern here of hackers working the holidays. Brian? All right. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm not comparing news anchors or reporters to doctors. They do a far more important job. But, you know, if you're on call. Right. Something goes wrong. You can't be you can't be three cocktails in. Right. So sort of how right. do you plan for this problem? Literally be like, all right, you know, Bob, you're on duty. You know, no drinking because we could get hacked. Right. Right. I mean, I think that's exactly it. That's what the experts are saying. I mean, you have to do all the cybersecurity things. Uh, you know, you have to make sure your patches are up to date. You have to make sure your systems are secure. Uh, but you also have to have a, a labor workforce sort of management problem here. And you might have to put some people on call and say, you know, you guys are sort of on soft launch to go. If we have something, uh, be on alert uh, and, you know, don't be into the beer. And that just stay off the hooch, I guess, is what it is, at least for a day to, to manage those hackers. Well, Eamon, I hope you right. are able to have a couple of cocktails with your, with, your, with, your, with, your, with your family and your 14 kids. I will be How in many Philadelphia with the family. Yep. Four. Four kids, bring in the uh, and I'm going to take them up to, the to see the grandparents, so it'll be great. Are you going to do the Van Gogh immersion at the, what, I can't remember the name of the museum that's doing it. I just bought tickets for that. It's like a metaverse 3D thing in Philly. I've got to check that out, but, but don't check do that out. when you're three cocktails in, Brian. Or anything else. Eamon Javers, best to you and yours. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> we'll Enjoy you. Philadelphia. Go to Denick's. Have a good one. At the Reading Terminal Market, and you get the pork. You know what I'm talking about, the sandwich, which is amazing. Good Eamon, tip. Eamon, thank you very much. Good tip. All right. Well, yes, actually, it is a very good tip. All right. From holiday hackers to holiday shopping, you got shortages, of course, of shipping and warehousing problems. Consumers and companies are already worried in, in what is already an overreactive, shall we say, retail season. Let's take a look more at the possible impact with Brett Rose, CEO of United National Consumer Supplies. Brett, good to have you on. I was joking with the producer in the break. If I say supply chain issues one more time, my head's going to explode. It's a real story. We know how bad it is, 
But it, are consumers making it worse? Is everybody sort of panic shops too soon this year? Yeah, you know, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me back. I think the panic shopping started in uh, March of 2020 and has continued to snowball. So it's funny, we, we say supply chain shortages and supply chain issues a lot. It's sort of like a, a 365-day Christmas for consumers right now. The, the panic yeah, shopping and, you know, is going on hard yeah, we're probably guilty of that. I've said shop, people said shop early. We've told people shop early. You wonder if anyone's going to be shopping in the next couple of weeks. What are you seeing, Brett? We had the president yesterday come out and say, you know, things are getting better. There's fewer ships off the coast of LA, where some of those just were told not to come. Uh, are you noticing anything easing up at all? Shipping rates, they have come down in the last couple of weeks. You know, shipping rates have come down, but you're still 40 to 40 uh, percent up of where they were last year. We're seeing consumerism. You know, the, the panic buying of toilet paper led to panic buying of everything. But as far as Black Friday and Cyber Monday, it really started this year, the beginning of October. You drive around my suburban neighborhood and everybody's got their holiday lights up and they have for weeks. So consumers needed to start early and they did. So the president's right as far as. The, you know, the port congestion is a little bit better, but you're still talking about millions of containers that will be stuck really in, for, for months, Brian. By the time it gets to port, gets on the road, gets to D.C.s and gets to stores, consumers won't see some of that product for months and months. Yeah, and you are one of the leading wholesale distributors out there. That's what you guys do. And, you know, uh, it's it's about pricing Consumers like to shop around, Brett. They like to poke around and say, I'm going to see what the price is here, compare online, compare in stores. Your advice, as I understand it, is don't do that this year. If you see something you like, snag it. Yeah, you know, we always say this this is our best tool, right, Brian? Consumers shop with this in their hand and they look what's out there. You can't do that this year because especially if you're shopping for a kid or a parent or there's a specific gift, it might not be there, you know. We did 34 billion plus for the five day Black Friday, Cyber Monday in 2020. That's going to be blown out of the water, partly because of the, the you know, the 22 to 25 percent price increases, but also just consumers feel the need. They're, they're in control right now. So by buying things in an uncontrollable world, that's what we've got control of. It's sort of the return, you know, off brand is going to be big this season, Brian, because the, the branded goods might not be there. But the good news is, if we can get past the holiday season, all those containers are going to catch up. And, you know, chic to be cheap is coming back in 2022 because there'll be no shortage of products as the goods and the containers start to arrive. Yeah, you wonder when everything sort of hits at the same time, Brett, if it may be the opposite. Suddenly we have an inventory overload. Right now, that is not the case. You see it and you like it, buy it. So says Brett Rose. Brett, thanks for coming on. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Appreciate the insight. Take care. Thank you, Brian. All right. On deck. Stocks trying to find any momentum heading into the holidays as well. John Stolfus is here to lay out where he is finding opportunity. Get your pencils or pens ready. John's got ideas, and we're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Hope you're having a great start to your Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. And we are thankful for our next guest and his help making sense of the markets. 
John Stolfus is Chief Investment Strategist at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, great to have you back on. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Uh, as we head into this, maybe people tomorrow will be watching football, eating some bird, and maybe thinking about their investment strategy heading into the new year. Who knows? Or maybe that's just me. How are things looking in 2022? Most of the Wall Street estimates that I have seen have shown 6 to 10% expected gains. Are you optimistic about next year? Well, thanks for having me on the show, Brian. Indeed, I am optimistic for next year. I don't think you're surprised at that, uh, but I am optimistic. And my thoughts are uh, we're going to see earnings improve next year. We'll see the supply chain straightened up next year on a lot of, uh, on a lot of levels. Uh, and we'll see more people getting back to work. So overall, I'm feeling positive. Uh, we'll come up with our target for 2022 uh, in either the first week uh, or, or second week of December. We're usually one of the last to come in with our, our target because we like to be as close to the end of the year as possible. Yeah, and we're looking at Jay Powell being back at the head of the Fed, uh, albeit with a new number two, sort of all things steady, right? I mean, if I look out, of course, I always joke, you know, January 1st is literally just a change of calendar. Nothing actually changes fundamentally. Is it just going to be more of the same with Powell in charge, John? Uh, we, we can't help but think that, you know, Powell is, has proved himself to be capable uh, of pivoting uh, in terms of policy. So we think he's going to be flexible, very sensitive. And of course, the market itself, uh, we think, was very much relieved that uh, that Biden did not uh, name uh, 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 another person to, the, to lead the Fed. Uh, when you consider Lael Bra uh, Brainerd is, is, is terrific, but you don't want to change the Fed chair. Don't change horses in the middle of the stream. You want to renominate the person who's in, especially if they've done as good a job as, as Powell has done in a very tough environment. Yeah, and, you know, the NASDAQ is sold off to the levels of last week, and interest rates are, are have moved up to the levels of two weeks ago. I... I do you see that? Is it the last couple of days? Is you think is the start of anything more meaningful than just kind of a a slight re-rotation? I think we we continue with this day-to-day -day rotation. Some days value rules, some day growth rules. If I look at yesterday, uh, the Nasdaq was down around seven tenths of a percent. On the other hand, uh, the uh, the S the uh, the S and P information technology sector was only down 0.21%, so just about a, a, a third of that uh, lower. And that's because older tech, more established tech, is core to many portfolios and gives you exposure without that volatility that you get in the newer tech that still doesn't pay dividends, that's still not ubiquitous uh, and really established. Yeah, it was quaint back in 99 when Cisco was the world's biggest company with a market cap of like $500 billion. Now that would seem like mid-cap. John Stolfas of Oppenheimer, appreciate you coming on as always, my friend. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you again. Take care. Thank you. All right, thank you. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk of the gang picking up the coverage next, and I'll be on in about 10 minutes to talk all things SPR. Have a great Thanksgiving if we don't see you, and see you right here. On Friday, we're back. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 